are entering the Freedom Hut. Is Trump outmaneuvering Nancy Pelosi in the midst of this shutdown? Or are the impending problems in airports and elsewhere going to force the Republicans to finally reopen the government? We'll talk about that, plus the crisis in Venezuela. What should the U.S. do? What do we think of what we've done so far? I'll break all that down for you and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We have to have border security. We have to have a wall in order to have border security. You cannot have border security without a wall. I mean, we can play games or we can talk about technology. We can talk about drones flying around. You know, right now, formed is an 8,000 person uh, caravan. And the caravan is heading our way. Congratulations. We have another one. We stopped the first one. We stopped the second one. If we didn't have a wall in those areas, it would have been very hard to stop them. We have the military. And we have the Border Patrol. They've done an incredible job. And ICE has done an incredible job all over the country, frankly. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump standing strong on this one. Not backing down, not giving up. And it looks like uh, some people, at least, on the Democrat side, are a little bit concerned about where all of this is going. A little bit worried that there's at least a possibility that maybe Nancy Pelosi getting into this spitting match, uh, shall we say, with uh, with Trump was not so wise after all. Maybe it's in fact the case that Nancy Pelosi has uh, has overplayed her hand a little bit here, acting in a in a clearly imperious fashion toward the president. Which, whatever you think of Trump's tactics up to this point, I, I think Pelosi has acquitted herself very poorly in all of this. Uh, and I have really, I have to say, I've really enjoyed some of, of Trump's uh, barbs directed at Democrats like Pelosi. But there are some who are saying, hold on a second, there, there could be a problem here. There, there could, in fact, be an issue. This was from Maggie Haberman last night on Twitter. She wrote that the White House believes Pelosi has erred in getting into a tactical fight with, uh, with Trump that involves testing who can kick more dirt. I think that there's truth to that. You know, I think that the Democrats are used to Republicans who the moment you start to get a little nastier, they go, oh, no, don't hit me. You know, don't don't be so rough. And they kind of run away. Trump doesn't do that. He leans in. He says, give me your best shot. And I think I think that if nothing else, the debate over the fence, let's just start. Let's just start saying the fence so that they don't they don't have this. Uh, you know, this talking point anymore about, oh, he said a wall, it's fine, well, fine the fence. Um, I'm hearing people now who are saying, okay, okay, fine, fine. We all know that a fence is, is going to work. That was kind of, we'll give up, we'll give that up. That was kind of a dumb thing that we were saying. A fence is going to work, but let's just reopen the government and then we'll get the fence built. Whoa, hold on a second. We've heard for over two years now that the notion of, of, of a fence at our southern border Democrats, demagogues on TV, left-wing pundits and anchors and journos and all the rest, they have been saying that a fence at our southern border is is foolish, racist, immoral, all that stuff. 
now, if you pay a little closer attention, you'll hear people say, well, you know, maybe there'll be some some funding for a wall for a fence, you know, later on. We'll do a little more fencing. Yeah, yeah, fine. Maybe our walls don't work talking point isn't quite as brilliant as we thought it was, but this is remarkable. Until about five minutes ago, it feels like all you had to do is go on CNN and be like, walls don't work. And everybody goes, oh my gosh, you're right. Gosh, walls don't work and water isn't wet. These are really intelligent things to say. But sure enough, as we look into this a little more, we find that Trump has made inroads in this national discussion in a way that I think uh, should at least we should give him credit for it. At least now I can sit and I'll play you some. We have some audio of a never Trumper that was arguing the border with me earlier today. It, 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 it's making the rounds on social media. You'll want to hear some of it. Um, but, you know, as as I sit here and, and think about the discussions about the border that have happened in the past in public, you can no longer get away with just saying that the offense is stupid. Offense doesn't work. You know, if you show me a 10 foot wall, I'll show you an 11 foot ladder. That you've been hearing for how long that things like that and people who say it think that they're smart for saying it. They they think that this is a really wise. They've come up with some witty retort. They've got they've got Trump cornered on this whole wall thing. And it's just it's idiocy. It's so very very dumb. I wonder if Senator Lindsey Graham is correct on this one when he says that he thinks that. Nancy Pelosi is not only misunderstanding her position vis-a-vis Trump in this debate, but could be a problem in the longer term for the Democrats on this. Play 15, please. Nancy Pelosi's become a nightmare for the Democratic Party. She seems unreasonable. She seems to have a dislike for the president that is hurting the country. Uh, And this idea of not letting the president speak is really overplaying your hands. It is. You know, she's she does not look like a a seasoned and uh, well-adjusted statesman or or statesperson on this one. She comes across as somebody who is taking a lot of this all very personally and is trying to find any way she can to stick a thumb in the president's eye. And people are looking at the issue and saying, well, hold on a second. Why is it so hard for you guys to give some money for fencing at our southern border? Why is that so unthinkable? Think of all the stuff that all the money that you know is wasted by the government on a regular basis on nonsense stuff. This is important, and yet they can't find the money for this. Democrats, for the first, you know, the only things that Democrats don't want to fund apparently are the military, beyond a you know minimal amount, um, and the fence. Or rather, I could put it to you this way: the only expenses the Democrats really seem to complain about are the military and the fence. I don't know what else they complain about. Everything else they want the government to be spending the taxpayers' money. Um, But I do think that the the problem that looms here for the Republicans and for Trump is that the situation at the airports is about to get bad. TSA and all this stuff, you know, and and man, the the journalists, I can tell you, they are just waiting in the wings to swoop in on this whole situation. And they really, look, journalists have gotten their teeth kicked in the last week. They really have. Although you see that, uh, Producer Mike, you see that that Acosta has has a book coming out. Jim Acosta's got a book coming out. It's called, like, uh, you know, Speaking Truth in the Era of Trump or some nonsense. I can't believe he's not calling it Dear Diary. I just think that that's a miss. Anyway, this is one, one of the great myths of, of, our, of our time. 
is that uh, journalists in this country are in danger. Oh, no, they're in danger. Journalists, oh, it's such a dangerous job. I think I, I told some of you that the Committee to Protect Journalists reached out to me because I wrote an editorial about how not dangerous. I'm not saying there aren't countries where it is dangerous. There are. America is not one of them. Uh, you basically have two shootings of journalists in the last 30 years, and and you know about both of them. One was at the uh, that paper near Baltimore. The other was the live stream shooting that, you know, these are just two disturbed individuals. Yeah, you, you. There have also been shootings in the postal by postal workers against their colleagues, and by and any number of different. Yeah, there are bad people out there. Journalists are not in jeopardy in this country. No one is stopping them from doing their job. No one is stopping them from saying what they want to say. I mean, this is a fantasy. I mean, they might as well be submitting fan fiction written about themselves. Oh wait, that's what Jim Acosta is doing. Man, that guy. You know what's funny is that I I know enough about him from people that work with him to it's not like he thinks this is some great con that he's running and he's just lining his pockets i could kind of have a little bit of yeah you know i get it you know it's got bills to pay no i I think he really believes that he's a first amendment martyr and that it's necessary for the health of our republic that we all hear from jim acosta about how he speaks truth to power i have the name of his book for you by the way what is the name of the book It's, it's awesome the enemy of the people a dangerous time to tell the truth in America. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe it. A dangerous time to tell the truth in America. A dangerous how, Acosta. Dangerous how. He's more famous and richer and more more uh, beloved by the CNN lib audience than he's ever been. So, you know, what is he even? Oh my gosh. He's a, he's the gift that keeps on giving. He's, he's incredible in that way. Um, but there is a, a, speaking of CNN... Nice transition here. There is an, a, a CNN exclusive story just came out right as we went on air. So you're getting this hot off the presses or whatever, or off the digital stuff on the screen. The White House is preparing a draft proclamation uh, for President Donald Trump to declare a national emergency along the southern border and has identified more than $7 billion in potential funds for his signature border wall, should he go that route, according to internal documents reviewed by CNN. Hopefully CNN's actually seen the documents or else this is going to look pretty bad. Trump has not ruled out using his authority to declare a national emergency and direct the Defense Department to construct a border wall as Congress and the White House fight over a deal to end the government shutdown. While Trump's advisors remain divided on the issue, the White House has been moving forward with alternative plans that would bypass Congress. I think this is the right move. There is a congressional statute that says that he's allowed to do this. It's, you know, see, here's the the problem that I know we run into. People say, Buck, what about the next president who comes along, who's a Democrat and wants to declare a state of emergency? Do do, do any of you think that the next president who can't get his or her way, who's a left-wing Democrat, which just means a Democrat, uh, is going to shy away from declaring a state of emergency if he or she feels it useful to them? Because Trump didn't do it? You think this will stop them from using this authority? Obama said how many times, I don't have the authority to go alone publicly in front of the whole country. I don't have the authority to go alone on DACA. I need Congress to do something. Congress was like, nope. What did Obama do? Did he did he sit around and mope and say, oh, I don't have the I don't have the power. I don't have the authority to do this. No, we all know what Obama did. He said, OK, I'm just going to do what I want. Guess what? Now I say I have the authority. DACA, it happens. Not only that, 
But then when Trump comes along and says, well, if Obama had the authority to enact DACA, I, as president, must have the authority to unenact DACA. And a court says no. A court says no. It's, you know, heads, thems win, tails, we lose. That's not a good that's not a good look for the judiciary, for the presidency, for anything. Uh, but that's where we are. So that's why that argument, although I'm aware of it, and it's a re- it's a real point, I'm not discounting it, I don't find it as persuasive as some of my conservative peers because I know Democrats. They, they have a lust for power, and they love to wield power and rub the faces of conservatives and of Republicans in it when they do so and do a lot of ha-ha in your face. So you, you think that by Trump walking away from a state of emergency, they won't try that with... And keep in mind, yeah, and then that president will probably have it go through the courts. You know, if, if a Democrat comes along and says there's a climate change emergency or a Second Amendment emergency and I'm going to seize all your, you know, you know, you know what stops Democrats from saying they're going to seize all our guns, though? They know that they can't. Ultimately, they know they can't. They like to talk about it sometimes, maybe a little amongst themselves, but it's not going to happen. And they know that. Uh, so a state of emergency may, de- may be declared here pretty soon. Uh, my guess would be Monday at this point, based on what we're seeing here in the reporting, because they're going to miss... Another pay cycle tomorrow. You're going to hear a lot more stories about federal employees who can't pay the bills, can't you know, can't uh, handle the mortgage or deal with any of the stuff that's come up now. And I'm not being dismissive of that. I know that that's a financial hardship and that's real. Um, and then the Republicans are going to say, okay, or at least Trump is going to say, all right, I'm going to go for it. And then what's interesting is that the only co-equal branch with the presidency is the Supreme Court. So what happens if the president says, I'm the commander in chief. There's a security emergency. We're building this wall. And a federal judge says no. And the president says, um, how are you allowed to stop me on this? I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. What is it? Does a federal judge think they're going to they're going to do what? They're going to issue a, a an arrest warrant for contempt against the president of the United States because he's ordering the military to build a fence somewhere. Uh, I, you know. Maybe we should call their bluff on this a little bit. You know what? Yeah, it's going to go into the courts. Fine. How does it? How how does Trump lose in the courts on this issue? He says there's an emergency. There's a statute that says the president may declare an emergency. He would have border patrol and immigrations and customs enforcement to back him up on this. That there is an emergency. So what exactly is going to be the the rationale? Oh, because Congress has an appropriate these funds. Well, that's why there's the statute that says that he can declare a state of emergency. Uh, I, I, you know, Trump, people forget Trump won on the so-called Muslim ban. He won on that. And I told you he was going to win on that because he had the authority as the commander in chief to do that. And all these so-called legal experts, you know, the Jeffrey Tubins of the world at CNN and these others, they were all saying, oh, no, no, no. You know, he can't do this. He can't do this because that's what their audience wanted to hear. But it wasn't true. Buck doesn't even have a law degree. And I'm a better legal analyst than these libs who go on TV to talk about this stuff. Trust me, I'm right a lot more than they are. Pay attention, you'll see. We've got more coming up. Stay with me. The State of the Union speech has been uh, canceled by Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't want to hear the truth. She doesn't want the American public to hear what's going on. And she's afraid of the truth. And the super left Democrats, the radical Democrats, what's going on in that party is shocking. I know many people that were Democrats and they're switching over right now. They're switching over quickly. 
So I hope they know what they're doing for their party. So far, they haven't. Nancy Pelosi is getting such a pass from the media on stuff. It's astonishing. First of all, for a third time, you have House Democrats that have decided they will not allow GOP efforts to actually pay federal workers during the shutdown to go through. They don't care. This is like the Democrats with everything. They don't care that federal workers aren't getting paid, really. They care that it looks like Republicans are big, mean meanies because federal workers are not getting paid. Nancy Pelosi is not losing sleep at night because Coast Guard and Border Patrol are not getting paid. Trust me. All she and her little Democrat cohorts care about is that enough Americans are going, okay, well, I watch the news and the news says the Republicans are responsible for this. And what about who's forget about who's responsible for the shutdown? Who's right in this debate? Who is correct? The Republicans or the Democrats? Is there a crisis at the border? Yes. Would a fence help? Among other things that Trump has laid out in a, in a comprehensive and very serious proposal. Yes. Is it fully within the authority of the United States government to take these actions and try to secure the border? Yes. So why do we have to sit around and go, oh, well, it's the Republicans' fault. They're, the Democrats the ones that are immigration extremists. They're making no sense on any of this stuff. They keep, you know, they keep hiding the ball, moving the football, doing all that stuff all the time. When you look at the substance of the issue, who is correct? And the truth is that the Republican Party is correct. Trump is correct. He makes a lot more sense on the border than Nancy Pelosi does. I can tell you that. But, you know, I think we all know where this is headed. It's probably heading to a, uh, a an emergency declaration. And Democrats are going to say that Trump is literally worse than Hitler. And the uh, Ninth Circuit's going to enjoin this, and they're going to say, sorry, can't do it, or we're going to put a stay on it, or whatever. I shouldn't have made that lawyer comment. Now I'm like, yeah, what's the legal language i got to use here? Um, they're going to put a stop to it until it can go uh, make its way through the courts, and that's where we'll be. But, you know, give give Trump credit. If, if he takes this thing all the way, he's taking this thing all the way, and I think his base, his voters are going to remember. And they're also going to remember the Democrats on immigration are a bunch of liars. Ah, yes, never Trumpers. There is a whole set of conservatives in the media and across the country that refer to themselves with pride as never Trump. And I've always said from the beginning of this, never say never. I know that sounds simplistic, but it's true. You know, you just don't know. And beyond that, what I see is that there are a lot of people who have adopted many of the what they think of as the as the cultural and ideological attributes of conservatism without actually caring about what's happening to conservatism and conservative causes, conservative action, right? So, you know, people who think that they're carrying on the legacy of William F. Buckley by deciding that, you know, that they should smoke a cob pipe, wear boat shoes, and speak with kind of a fancy accent about things, uh, instead of, well, are we are we getting conservative judges? Are we getting lower tax rates? Are we getting less regulation? Are we getting a foreign policy that focuses on American needs beyond the needs of foreign countries? Are we securing the border? You know, the reality of the of the implementation of ideas is, is irrelevant to them. It's just the going through the motions, right? It's it's the facade of conservatism 
the veneer of conservatism in place of conservative action. Uh, and that then brings me to the little exchange that I had today uh, with uh, Mr. Charlie Sykes, who apparently used to have a radio show, and uh, not one that I ever listened to or heard of. But he came on my show Rising this morning. He is very, very much a never-Trumper. And we talked a bit about um, the wall, the fence, the border. And there were some remarkable takeaways. By the way, I would recommend you to watch the whole clip. It's on Facebook right now. You can go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. It's also on YouTube. Uh, so you should be But the easiest way is to just go on my Facebook page. You'll see it there. And I, I want to walk you through some of what's gone on here. Um, play, uh, play clip 11. But why do you put this all at Donald Trump's feet when the Democrats are being completely intransigent? I mean, a, a year ago, they were talking about $20 billion of funding yeah, for border well, security in the wall. And now they're uh, saying we won't give you a dollar, not a dollar. Well, the okay. Democrats well, aren't saying that, though. No. Well, that's actually what Nancy Pelosi said recently. I mean, I don't know where she no, is no, today. She said no, not, not a dollar, dollar for, for the wall. wall. Okay, well, that, that, but they've well, offered billions of dollars right, for border security. 2006, the Secure Fence Act passes. Chuck Schumer's talking about... 20 or 15 billion dollars for border security overall, which would have included upgraded fencing and security. So I'm just wondering, I mean, as you obviously don't like the president, yeah. don't like what he's doing, but all of your ire seems to go toward the Republicans and toward Trump on this and not toward the Democrats who obviously don't want a secure border. I mean, that, okay, that's well, clear. Hey, from see, that's, that, that's just, that's just, that's just demagoguery. How is that demagoguery? No, no, because of course they want a secure border. We all want a really secure, we all, we all want a secure. And by the way, and by the way, wants and a secure border. Yeah, yes. They want to okay. lock okay, people buck, up for helping buck, ICE. Buck. This is see. This is where it just all it all starts to go here. D Democrats want to secure. You think Nancy Pelosi wants a secure border where where people really just cannot get in illegally? Why why do they object every time? You 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 think that they want to shut down the magnet to bring people into this country, which would mean e-verify, workplace verification, and internal enforcement of immigration laws, which means deportations of people. Do you, do you think that Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the Democrats want the 80 to 90 percent of the family units that will not get asylum in this country? Therefore, they are illegal. They are not allowed to be here, and they will not show up for their hearings. This means they should be deported. Do you think that they support that? No, of course not. Well, you know, these never-Trumpers are on Pelosi and Schumer's side on immigration, whether it's this guy Sykes, who's... You know, really smug and, and annoying and, and unimpressive. Um, I was told today, actually, you know, he's one of these guys also who always, always bashes the president for his, you know, moral turpitude. And, you know, the guy, this guy himself has been married three times and each each marriage has apparently ended in a torrid affair. Uh, that That's what I was told. So, you know, I'm not, look, I, I'm not one to judge, but I will judge one who should not be one to judge. And that is this guy. Um, we had, we had more going on here though, that I, I wanted to get into Uh play clip nine. We have this shutdown over the non-existent wall, which the president has already caved on. I mean, there is no wall. He's, he's, he's changed his position on all of that, you know, and, Wait, and how has he changed and, his position on that? Uh, well, because we're not building a 2000 mile concrete barrier. Um, we're now this, down this to is all just over a, a relatively small area. Um, the last two years when somebody like me said, you know, you're not going to build a 2,000-mile concrete barrier along the border, we were accused of being cucks and globalists and for open borders, and now the president is saying this. He's winning the fence debate, though, which is a big change. I mean, anybody who knows anything about the border now knows that the fence yeah. actually... Oh, well, people who know anything about the border know the fence works. I mean, that's mm -hmm. no longer up for discussion. Well, 
You know, this is, but see, this is what I mean. Well, he, you know, he switched on the wall. Yeah, he switched from a wall to a fence. What, what sort of semantic, babyish nonsense is this? Okay, he hasn't caved on. This is so stupid. He hasn't caved on the concept of a barrier. I mean, whether you call it a wall or a fence, I mean, this is crazy. This is crazy. But this is what you get from from the the, the never Trumper squad, and and then things got a little more interesting. Play twelve. Do you think the border is important? Do you think that border security is something that's worth fighting yeah, yeah. for? I mean, they, they passed a law in 2006 saying right. they were going to do this. Right. Never funded it. Now here we are. There is a crisis at the border, whether it's a big crisis or a little crisis, we could argue about, but it's a major yeah. problem. Well, how are we there, ever going to address there, this? There is no crisis at the border. border it is a made up. Yeah, I was but there is, no, there is no crisis at the border that we cannot handle. There's lots of ways of securing the border without engaging in the kind of crude reductionist fiction that Donald Trump has engaged in saying, I'm going to build this big, beautiful wall that Mexico is going to pay for because, Buck, are there, we going to get that big, beautiful flourishes. He has had to change his position on what the wall, it's a fence maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's not a wall. Now we're saying it's a barrier. But this is a position that anybody who's known about the border yeah. in any real sense has known should happen for a long time. They passed, Congress passed a law in 2006 saying they need to do this. Trump has finally gotten this thing to where it's close to maybe happening. And we're going to criticize him because Mexico's not paying for it. Isn't the much more important issue that there's yeah. actually the possibility of getting the wall that we've been okay. told we're going to well, get here, for almost here 15 is the, years? You know, but see, this is, I'm trying to have a conversation like a normal person would. What really matters here? That we're going to get a barrier, that we're going to get a fence, that we're trying to do what should be done. And he's saying, oh, this reductionist fiction of the wall, the Mexico, the, this is all distraction. Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement want a wall. Anyone who knows anything about the border knows that we should have a barrier, a fence, a wall. It doesn't matter. Something physical there to prevent illegal entry into the country in areas where that is effective, which is a lot of areas that are still open. So what is this guy even talking about? By the way, he went on. He says during the interview, you got to watch it. You know, there, there shouldn't be a wall. There should be a wall. Trump is icky. I got to tell you, I just wish there were none of the, the balls and strikes crowd on Trump. Some great people. They're honest. They're smart. I'm fine with it. The never Trump squad. I don't know anybody who knows what the heck they're talking about anymore. It's just all bunk. It's all nonsense. Here it is a wealth tax. It was only a matter of time, my friends. It's not surprising at all, but here it is. Elizabeth Warren apparently didn't have time to uh, hang out with Nathan Phillips at the Indigenous Peoples March. I'm a little disappointed, personally. I, I kind of would have liked to have seen Elizabeth Warren, you know, suit up and and then uh, and go to the go to, go to the uh, Indigenous Peoples March, you know, because she's one 1,024th Native American. I, I think she's got to represent that tiny, infinitesimal uh, fraction of herself that could in any way be described as Native American. I think she needs to really. You know, say it loud and say it proud on her Native American heritage. Uh, but she isn't going away. Uh, there's a part of me, I almost, I almost find myself respecting it. I mean, I can't say I do respect, but I almost respect her resilience. Because resilience is an incredibly important character trait i mean as i get a little older and see a little bit more in life and actually feel like i know some things now it's i mean i thought i knew a lot at 27 i didn't know squat i know a lot more at 37 i think at 47 i'll probably think i'm you know 
some kind of savant. But anyway, uh, I didn't know anything in 27. I've learned a lot since then. Resilience is key. Being able to bounce back. And, and so that part of me that really just respects that human quality, that Elizabeth Warren, with a straight face, thinks there is any universe in which she is going to successfully run for the presidency and she's going to stick it out and stay in this is, is wow. It truly is wow. But she's got some tricks up her sleeve. You know, she does have a few things. She does have a few cards to play. And attacks that goes after very wealthy Americans, you know, to really dig in deep to the the envy, the envy quotient here, to, to use class warfare as a central campaign uh, theme and, and promise, really, that she's going to soak the rich. She's going to take them, take them down. It's powerful stuff. It works very well. It works very well. It worked very well for Chavez and Maduro in Venezuela, which we're going to talk about in the third hour of the show. Worked really well for them. Didn't work out well for the Venezuelan people, unfortunately. Didn't work out well for those who had to live with the consequences of empowering demagogues who became despots. And by the way, usually despots start out as demagogues, worth noting. I also love the definition of a demagogue as a person who says things he knows to be untrue to a room, a room full of people he knows to be idiots. Uh, that's that's a pretty good working definition of a, of a demagogue. Um, I think that's... No, I, I don't want to see... If I give a, the wrong attribution on a quote, I know you... you this is a very... I got to always do my homework and then some before this show because this audience is... You guys... I know. Late, I got to make a correction later on in the show. It came into our inbox on something. So I, nothing, nothing flies by this team. I use the past pluperfect improperly, and all of a sudden, you know, things go things go wrong. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren is proposing a wealth tax. Ah, here we are. Here is really the sweet spot of the social justice left. And I'm going to tell you, because I'm always honest with you, that this is going to be this is this is a powerful idea, and it's a powerful idea for a few reasons. But let, let me just first tell you what the idea is. It's according to the Washington, Washington Post. Uh, a wealth tax on those with more than $50 million. She says this is to combat soaring wealth inequality. The tax would hit those above $50 million with a 2% wealth tax and those above $1 billion with a 3% wealth tax and that this is supposed to raise... $2.75 trillion over the course of, of 10 years. Now, here's where this is going to be. Here's where this is going to be tricky, folks. And I, I'm not going to lie to you about this. If you're really going to talk about inequality and, and what is fair, a wealth tax is actually much more fair than an income tax. And, you know, I, I cannot tell a lie. A wealth tax makes a lot more sense. Think of it this way. If somebody with a million dollars in the bank, and this the numbers here, I'm just using them because they're easy, right? But somebody with a million dollars in the bank um, makes $50,000 a year in unearned 
or rather, you know, investment income. I shouldn't say unearned, it's earned. Sorry, I know that was a little, I, I threw myself a flag there. That sounded a little AOC-like, you know, it's un, it's unearned because like you didn't like like work really hard like in a coffee shop to make it. I get it, fine. But if you make off of investment income $50,000, because you have a million dollars in the bank and you've got a 5% municipal bond, let's say, it's like Buck's breaking out the green eye shade here. Let's break down the numbers. Uh, and then you work really hard at your job, whatever job you have across the country, you make $50,000 to treat that income as though it has the same impact on your life is nonsensical. It's just true, right? You know, to, to tell, for somebody who has a million dollars in the bank to live off of $50,000, which, you know, most people with a million dollars in the bank wouldn't be happy to do that. But, you know, if they want to live off $50,000 a year, they can. But to act like the financial pressures and financial reality of somebody who makes $50,000 a year is the same as somebody who is getting $50,000 a year from the assets they have, this is why a wealth tax actually, you start to say, hmm, interesting. Now, the way that, the, the way that people always get around this is what if your wealth is, what if your wealth is tied up in you know, real estate or investments or you're not liquid in that percentage and how do you assess? I mean, if you have a... If you've got a, a $10 million home, is it really a $7 million home? I mean, you know, there, I understand there's a lot of implementation problems, but I am just saying from a political perspective, this is going to be a pretty potent idea. This is going to rally the left because people can sit there and say to themselves, well, hold on a second. You know, if one person has $10 million in the bank and they make, a hundred grand and another person has $50 in the bank and the bank and they make a hundred grand treating that income the same way is unfair. It just is. I mean, you know, this is an income tax is really not dealing with the separation between people because the biggest problem that most folks have is just making enough to sustain themselves, pay their bills and not fall into debt. Once you get out of that trap, then, you know, money has a very different, once you have enough to cover the bills and, and to, to take care of your lifestyle for, you know, for the foreseeable, money doesn't have quite the same value, right? What is this, diminishing marginal utility? I mean, we could talk more about that another time. But the Warren Wealth Tax here is going to have a, uh, a really, this is, this is not something that we can just sort of Laugh at it and forget about because it's going to be powerful. Because finally, the big problem that Democrats have in the past with the, with the income tax is that to say that somebody should be, let's even say somebody who makes $250,000 a year or you know $500,000 a year, they should be taxed the same way as somebody who makes $50 million, the same percentage. Why? Well, who, who came up with that idea? You know, why is that fair? You know, it, it really just turns into a fairness game. Look, this is why I want a flat tax. I I do not believe in all this graduated income tax stuff. I think it's it's nonsense. There's so many ways people cheat and so many loopholes and all this other stuff. Um, but if we're really going to talk about what's fair, a wealth tax is more fair than an income tax. So I don't agree with Warren on this. It's a disastrous idea. A lot of problems with it. Can't really implement it. But to make the case... To, uh, to be the class warfare warrior extraordinaire, Warren, uh, she may surprise some folks here.
Introducing a new conservative alternative to all those liberal email services out there, iPatriots.us. Look, if you're concerned about your current email service, your privacy and its protection, iPatriots.us is a great option for you. It's secure and private, includes all the good stuff without all the email ads and spam you get with some of those other servers. Your files are going to be safe with iPatriots Premium Antivirus Anti-Spam 256-Bit Encryption iPatriots.us isn't going to sell your information or support liberal agenda items like most of those other free email providers. And iPatriots.us is compatible with most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Mobile, and BlackBerry. It works on any Windows or Mac computer. So show you're a patriot with your email. Go to iPatriots.us now. Choose your membership program and input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter promo code BUCK, that's B-U-C-K, for 10% savings during your first year of membership. And I want to pass this year a constitutional amendment that writes into the Constitution a provision protecting a woman's right to control her own reproductive health. We'll pass it next year. We'll put it on the ballot. We'll write it into the Constitution. So that was uh, Governor Cuomo, whom usually I have a lot of fun mocking, but this is as serious a matter as we will ever talk about on this show and probably ever talk about on any show. Uh, And then at the end there, that was just also the People in the New York State Senate chamber, the Democrats who, uh, after legalizing abortion at, at any point in a pregnancy for a, for any reason in a pregnancy, up to the uh, moment of conception, uh, were, st- were giving a standing ovation. Um, you know, I go back and forth between outrage at these people and, and feeling deeply sorry for them and, and really wondering what's gone wrong with their souls. Uh, I can understand the good faith questions that people have about about the life issue in, in certain ways and at certain times, right? I mean, I can understand that, all right, well, let's have a debate over, you know, is it the moment of conception? Is it, uh, is it you know, when, when it can feel pain or whatever? I, I think it's the moment of conception. I think science supports that. But the, the more important point here is just that's not where the— left-wing Democrat Party even wants to have a discussion. That, that doesn't really matter. That, that's just for the sake of, of uh, creating a smokescreen and making it seem like the pro-life movement is somehow extreme and, and out of the mainstream and, you know, you don't, you, you can't trust them on these things. You don't know what they're going to say about these things um, because they're just radicals, uh, which, of course, all of this is, is untrue. In fact, the, the pro-life movement is, over just so incredibly uh, decent and and thoughtful and full of people that really do just want to support life, uh, which is as important a cause as exists in the world. And they uh, they do they march for life they they fight for life and they do so with with dignity and decency. But when we're now supposed to have a discussion with people who are standing and cheering for this. They don't do this and and skulk in the corner and have a sense of shame that they are passing policy that, without question, would allow for a baby 
uh, at term to be terminated. It is no. It is now in the health code. It is no longer in the legal code. Um, it is not an exaggeration to say that this is satanic, and that this is the greatest moral stain on this country since slavery. That that is no exaggeration. That is a I think a moral and ethical fact. And it's also unfortunately at this point so central to the political and cultural identity of the Democratic Party that the issue of abortion is really an existential issue of power for the Democratic Party. That they cannot conceive of a world uh, in which finally we come to our senses as a country and, and, and outlaw this barbaric practice and say, no more is this going to happen. You know, whatever we have to do, however we have to set up, you know, more, more, uh, you know, adoption uh, centers and facilities and more resource, you know, whatever we have to do, whatever we have to do as a country so that, so that babies are being born, so that you don't have circumstances like you do in New York City where one in three babies overall is being aborted and uh, more babies from the African-American community are aborted than born. Horrific, horrific statistics. Um, but, you know, we should get to a place where whatever we have to do as a country, we will do to stop this practice, to prohibit this. You know, the human race existed for a long time. We, we've been around a long time without people doing abortions at eight months, okay, or nine months. I mean, we've been around a long time. This is not something that is a necessary part of our survival. It's not necessary for women's liberation or any of this stuff. That's all just brainwashed lies. But what I was getting to with the Democrats and how it's an existential issue for their power is that if we move to a place of moral clarity on abortion, there will also have to be a reckoning for what the Democratic Party has been doing all this time. And... They, yes, you could say, Buck, but the Democrats supported slavery and look where they are now. I know, but there would be a period that would last for quite a while where the Democrats moralizing on how they pretend to care so much about the poor and they pretend to care so much about women and minorities and all, all this stuff that's central to their talking points. But if you look at their leadership and, and how the party really governs and functions, I think it's, it's self-evident that these are nothing more than postures that they take for the the reason of political popularity, um, they won't want to have to face what they've done. And they won't want the American people to finally turn around and say, what have you been pushing for all this time? What is wrong with you? Uh, which is the only question I think that really comes to mind that one can even begin to answer in this situation or begin to ask it rather in this situation. What is wrong with you? And uh, Andrew Cuomo is, from what I am told by people who have worked near and around him, not a good, not a good man. I don't know why people in the state of New York, where I am from, would vote for somebody like this. I don't understand why there's not more of an outrage from the Catholic community. You know, where where are the the Catholic firebrands? On and again, I don't leave out evangelicals and, and Protestant denominations because of any reason other than I'm just that's not what I was raised in, and I don't know them as well. But the Catholic Church is very clear on, on one thing, which is abortion is a, is a, is a serious sin. And uh, why aren't they, you know, why aren't they excommunicating Nancy Pelosi? Why aren't they excommunicating Governor Cuomo? I, I think these are completely fair questions. These are people who claim to be of the faith who are pushing for, and, and, and then I, I know there's also a whole, 
a whole line of argument, and, and I agree with it, that, you know, forget about faith. I mean, for, forget about the, the, the religious component of this, too. Anybody with a basic understanding of science knows that this is life and life that is being extinguished. There, there are two beings here. There are two human lives. There are two people that are in this process of mother and baby in womb. There's no way around this. This is like the left on the gender identity debate where they pretend that men and women, there's nothing different about them, but they're wrong. There are fundamental physical differences. And they can say that a baby in the womb is not a baby, but they're wrong. Scientifically, provably, observably, they are wrong. And that then also leads to all the other uh, falsehoods around this, the inability that they have to speak honestly about the abortion procedure, about what's involved in it. So many people I know will say, oh, that's not what it is. That's not what happens. And then they will have to be told, oh, no, that is just that is how barbaric this whole process is. That is how wrong this is. Um, and the, the left is is rabid about this. And they celebrate it, as you could hear from their standing ovations. And, you know, they, they celebrate the idea that, remember, our tax dollars, your tax dollars and mine are going to this too. In a sense, by paying taxes, we're complicit. And I don't know what to say about Republicans not defunding Planned Parenthood. I, I you know, I, I cannot begin to make excuses for it. I don't know what it's going to take for us to hold, uh, hold them accountable for this. This was a promise that was made. This is a promise that Trump and the Republicans have not delivered on. What was stopping them? Defund Planned Parenthood. How hard is this? They didn't do it. They didn't do it, and I worry. It's because there are a lot of people that like their donations. They like getting invited to fancy cocktail parties. They like being thought of well by the elite media. And at the end of the day, even in defense of unborn life, there's a lot of cowardice even on the right. You know what's smart? Figuring out who you need to hire to take your business to the next level in 2019. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you can get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. If you love this show, show your support for it and for ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more time, you can try it totally free, just like I did, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Do you think in that confrontation, that encounter that went on and on, should you have walked away? He's, he said, yes, he thinks now he should have walked away. Do you think, sir, you should have walked away? That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to walk away. There was a spot. There was a place where I could take my people. Because we were surrounded. We couldn't go right. We couldn't go left, back, you know. And then that I was still in prayer, still singing. Um, and then I was looking past the crowd. And I took that first step and that crowd backed up. I took a second step and that crowd started scattering or breaking apart there. 
And I took a third part and I actually seen a, a clear space. I said, that's the space. And we started going that way. And from somewhere, just from a clear space, a person was there. You feel you were blocked. Oh, I was blocked. That's a lie. We know that's a lie because we have video of the whole encounter. He walked up to a bunch of kids, got right in one of their faces, found one with a MAGA hat on, and banged a drum as loud as he could. That's what happened. Everything else that he, you know, all these other descriptions of it, all the other versions of events, the guy's lying. But it, it shouldn't be surprising to anyone because this, this individual is, in fact, a, a liar. Nathan Phillips is somebody who I think people should understand is not to be trusted on this account, I'm sure on, on many other accounts as well. I mean, he's clearly a weird guy, right? So I, I, would, I would start with that, and uh, which doesn't mean that he's untruthful, but when you add into it all the things that he said that are false, that are fake— you have to stop and say to yourself, well, hold on just a second. What exactly are we, why do we give him the, this benefit of the doubt? Oh, that's right, because of his, uh, he's a Native American with military service. That was the only story they wanted to tell. Kind of reminds me, you remember with the Trayvon thing when there was such an effort, and you saw it with, with uh, Mike Brown too. You have a minority and, uh, you know, in the whole Ferguson situation, you have a minority in Ferguson, a minority in, uh, what was it, uh, Producer Mike, where was, tra- was that in Miami? Where was the trip? I know it was Florida. Where was it in Florida? I forget now. Anyway, I, I think it was in the Miami area, but I could be, it could be in another. So it was in Florida. That's all that really matters. But there was this very clear media decision to, uh, you know, depict Trayvon Martin as a 12-year-old. And in fact, people forget this. It was an NBC reporter or producer who changed the audio of that guy Zimmerman so that it sounded like he said something he didn't say just because she thought, you know, for the cause, you know, why not? Let's just stack the deck on this guy. And, you know, you had Mike Brown. This photo that would show up of him all the time was him in his high school graduation photo, you know, clearly designed Miami Gardens, Florida. Yeah, I was right about Trayvon. Okay. Uh, clearly designed, in the case of Mike Brown and Ferguson, to give the impression that he's some kind of scholar. I mean, the guy had just just strong-arm robbed a store moments before, and then he tried to strong-arm rob a cop of his gun, and it didn't work out well for him. This, you know, it reminds me of how the media, you know, talks about the, the Covington story. You look at the Trayvon case, you look at the Mike Brown case, and there are people who will still say, that they're some kind of heroes. I saw a Black Lives Matter march in New York City, where there was a bit, there was a car, uh, you know, almost, I think it was a pickup truck driving down Sixth Avenue, and there was a big placard of Mike Brown, and you know, re- remember Mike Brown, like Mike Brown, some kind of hero. Mike Brown, according to eyewitness testimony that were included African Americans who lived, by the way, in St. Louis. Uh, and were there for this whole situation, Mike Brown attacked a cop. You know, probably didn't like that the cop, you know, told him to get out of the middle of the road and asked him if he had just been at a store or whatever, and uh, things got things got physical, and he tried to charge a police officer. Well, you try to charge a cop, and you're, you know, six foot three and 260 pounds or whatever he was, guess what? It can end very badly. But 
they will stick to the narrative even when it's false because it has emotional impact, you see. It, it emotionally touches people even though it's not true. It becomes a fiction that is useful. The media will do this. They will tell stories to you that are useful fiction. And that's why with this guy, Nathan Phillips, you know, he's a Native American. He was just there peacefully praying, wasn't doing, you know, also he was demonstrating for who? What, what is he? He's standing outside Lincoln Memorial, standing there, and he's part of the Indigenous Peoples March. I mean, what is... What was really his purpose is, is what I want to know. This guy's an activist. I'm just curious. These, these are the questions I think a real journalist would ask somebody. Um, but instead, you know, they, they present this narrative of a guy who they say, um, you know, his his military service, uh, you know, and, and Native American background are all you need to know about him. And then even his military service becomes a point of some contention. Play five. Clear. You served in the Marines at the time that Vietnam was going on, but you did not serve overseas. What I've always said is I've never stepped foot in South Vietnam. And that's, I don't know how clear, how much clear can that be? When I come home, those times, I got spit on, actually spit on, called a baby killer. I'm a Vietnam Times veteran. Honorable discharge, yeah. I got a Section 8 home because I'm a veteran, wartime veteran like that, honorable, in theater. So I have Section 8 home. I have to defer to, again, uh, defer to the uh, veterans in the audience about you know how this guy's describing his time. I've always found that vets, uh, people in the, in the different civilian services of the country as well overseas you know you, you always want to err on the side of downplaying stuff and you know i certainly wouldn't want to be you know i was a i was in iraq era you know desk kicker it's like what does that mean you're not a door kicker you're a desk kicker i mean what is that someone explain that one to me um very 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 strange from this guy but um you know i i just think that they're latching onto this and they're they're not they're very clearly not going to uh, let it go, um, and, and then just one more thing here about the the smirk. This is the the issue. Guthrie, I didn't get to this yesterday. Guthrie, when she asked Sandman, the fifteen year old kid, about his face, here, let's just dig into the play clip eight. I see it as a smile, saying that this is the best you're going to get out of me. You won't get any further reaction of aggression, and I'm willing to stand here as long as you want to hit this drum in my face. What some people see is a young kid with a smirk on his face. Mm -hmm. What would you say for people who see that and are making a judgment about who you are? Well, people have judged me based off one expression, which I wasn't smirking, but people have assumed that's what I have, and they've gone from there to titling me and labeling me is a racist person, someone that's disrespectful to adults, which they've had to assume so many things to get there without consulting anyone that can give them the opposite story. just want to note, look at how how very clearly she is. The, the, I'm going to get into this more in a moment, but, but the, the difference in tone, it is so obvious. You know, Guthrie is is very, you know, playing the playing the tough school marm when it comes to Sandman. But, you know, with with Phillips, the military vet and Native American activist, you know, just, you know, yeah, we're just so glad you're here. I'm just so glad you're safe after all those terrifying 
15-year-old high school Catholic boys uh, didn't do anything to you, but, you know, maybe they could have or something. Uh, I've never had less respect for the media than I do this week, and I'm never going to feel differently about them than I do now. A troubling scene many are calling racist played out in Washington yesterday on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Some students harassing an older Native American man, a Vietnam vet. The situation came to a head when that young man there, wearing a Make America Great Again hat, got right in his face and didn't move. The video appears to show dozens of youths wearing Make America Great Again hats, mocking Native American elder and Vietnam veteran Nathan Phillips. Yesterday, a Native American man was confronted uh, by young people with Make America Great hats on. Uh, There's something wrong with that. Outrage over this now viral video showing high school teenagers harassing a Native American elder. When you have the kind of anger that we saw uh, at the indigenous people March, where a veteran, a Native American man, was you know had a standoff with students who were you know mocking him. A crowd of teenagers surrounding a Native American elder and other activists, as one smirking high school student blocks the elder's path. Another man of peace stands face to face with bigotry. We feel that President Trump is giving license to some of this behavior. So much nonsense. So many lies from a media that does not seem to care very much at all that they have put children in a situation where they are now receiving threats. Uh, They are now, their parents have been receiving threats. They have to have police at their school. They are no longer in a a situation where uh, they can just focus on their studies and, and what should be going on in their lives. They, they have to now think about safety in a way they never have before. And, and I keep going back to this. They didn't do anything wrong. I don't mean that they didn't do anything really big wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. And this is why I think when I, when I wrote earlier in the week about, uh, when I wrote on thehill.com about the way that the social media mob can come from any, can come for anyone, this is so instructive of that concept, what's happened to the Covington students. Um, and, and I think it's maybe starting to show people that there is a, a need to socially reject this idea that people should just get away with piling on, destroying someone's character, ruining their lives, ruining their reputation just because they feel like it, that that should be considered entirely and, and totally unacceptable in in every possible way uh, because these kids they didn't get in trouble because they were on social media they got in trouble because they were on a school trip and people wrote to me because that column that i mentioned earlier in the week it it went pretty viral i mean it it got a, a pretty huge readership which was nice thank you all of you by the way who share my stuff whether it's uh you know when i put out uh itunes links for the podcast or obviously articles that i've written I'm trying to write every Monday now and going forward for a while, but I've got a I got a heavy load that I have to carry in terms of the workload every day. Uh, so one thing I thought was interesting was how many people came to me with, well, the real the answer here is just don't be on social media. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't, oh gosh, how do you avoid being dragged, which is what everyone calls it when you get the pile on and everyone's trying to destroy you on social media. How do you avoid getting dragged on social media if you're using Twitter, if you're using Facebook in these places? No, no. This is 
how do you go through life knowing that you can do something entirely insignificant and in which you are in no way wrong, but because of the social justice left, because of the kind of people that really like to leap on certain stories, create certain stories even, that fit a preconceived view uh, that they have of the world, you could be walking to the grocery store and you bump into somebody walking in the door and all of a sudden you turn into a viral meme. You know, if you're wearing, if you're wearing a MAGA hat, you better watch out. I've been thinking for a while, it would be interesting just to see what the reactions were if I were to walk around uh, certain parts of D.C. with a MAGA hat on. I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons I haven't done it and, and videotaped it, obviously, is because I don't want to have to get into a confrontation, with, a, a possible physical confrontation with somebody just for wearing the hat. I was very disheartened today when on my own panel at the Hill, I said that for uh, Alyssa Milano, who's Chihuahua almost peed on my foot that one time. I'll always remember that. We'll always have that, Alyssa. Uh, for Alyssa Milano to say that the uh, MAGA hat is similar to a KKK hood, and for some of the people on my panel, the panel guests said that he he kind of understands that. I'm like, no, you can oppose Trump. You can hate what he's doing and all that stuff, but let's not just completely forget about any reality, any sense of perspective or context. You know, and this is a, this is where I am. I just have uh, media outrage fatigue on all things Trump. I mean, I, I do I do feel like sometimes if the Trumpster did have a really bad day and did something really, really bad, I'd say, yeah, it's bad, but I don't even know how much it would register with me because I know the media would be saying, oh my gosh, he's Hitler. No, he's not Hitler. He's not Hitler. And they need to stop this nonsense. Um, but putting aside the president for a second, as you see, that same frenzy and that same uh, overzealousness to try to tell certain stories about certain kinds of people can affect 15-year-old kids on a school trip. It can affect anyone. You don't. It, it's not enough to not be a social media user. If you leave your house, if you go to work, if you have any interaction with the outside world, you can be somebody who becomes a, a social media meme. I think of, you know, there have been some of these cases where someone, uh, I think, wouldn't open the door to a private apartment building for a group of a group of kids. And, you know, the person didn't believe they lived there or had a reason to be there. And that was called. And I don't remember the specifics of the story. So, you know, maybe there was bad intent or whatever. But I'm just saying minor day to day interactions because we all carry uh, the means to both record and transmit to the internet everything that's happening all the time. Minor day-to-day -day interactions can become, you know, a, a national scandal. Even if you don't have a Facebook account or a Twitter account, it doesn't matter if you're just out there doing anything. I mean, I think about how, you know, when I was at when I was a student at Amherst, there was a we had this pretty pretty fancy gymnasium, I guess, for a relatively small school. And people wanted to use it. We had multiple basketball courts and, you know, it was a nice facility. And townies would would show up and a, a good percentage of the townies, by the way, they weren't African-American, uh, but they were non-white. A few of them, I think, were Filipino. A few of them, there were a, a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different ethnicities represented in this group of townies that I'm, I'm thinking of in particular. And they would show up and they would use our facilities. Now, technically, they're not allowed to be there. And more importantly than just the technicality of them not supposed to be on on the gymnasium, you know, using the facilities that people are paying a lot of money to be able to use, 
is that there's actually a liability. So if one of them were to break his ankle, he could sue the school and he'd win. Okay, so there's a real reason for them not to be there. But when the uh, students who were paid, you know, minimum wage to sit at the door of the gymnasium asked them for their student IDs, oh my gosh, there was a huge, it was a huge scandal. And how, how dare they? And because I think out of a group of 12 or 13 townies who were not students, there was one kid who actually was a student and he was a minority. Therefore, the fact that the, all the other kids they asked for their uh, IDs who did not have them because they weren't supposed to be there. Forget about all that. It's just the one, the one person uh, who was a student who had to show his ID. That became a giant scandal. And they wanted to install a, a wildly expensive, I forget what it was, but it, you know, it was, I think, in the, at least in the tens, maybe even the low hundreds of thousands of dollars system for swiping and all this. Anyway, it's just, but I just think of these, these incidents that I know have happened where could you imagine if, if this was caught on on video, I mean, now you could be, you could be in a position where you're you're, you're the bad guy. You know, you're you're the bad person. You're the person that everybody gets to beat up on and and say is terrible. And maybe you weren't even doing anything wrong, but that doesn't matter because the mob comes for you. And that's another part of this too. It doesn't matter what the truth is, as we see with, with the kids. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter to the mob, at least, as we see with the Covington kids. They, the people that spread this stuff around. They feel righteous even when they're wrong, just like the media. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment here. First question, how are you doing? This has been a whirlwind few days for you. You find yourself on the, the front page of every newspaper. How are you doing and how are you feeling? Well, I woke up strong this morning and with a really positive attitude. And I, uh, I had an opportunity to go and to... Uh, traditional prayer ceremony and um, that was the other night and yesterday I woke up with all kinds of good feelings in my heart and for all those who've been uh, been mean to me I want to forgive them notice the tone of traditional mainstream media darling Savannah Guthrie here notice the tone hey so I just want to say so how are you doing you know how's it going this is intentional, folks. The tone that she takes when interviewing the adult who has led to the the threatening of the small children, right? Uh, the, or not small children, but the children are 15 years old. Uh, the tone she takes toward the, the, the kids, uh, Sandman, is much more along the lines of a scolding teacher who just wants the student to know how he's made it, you know, what, what he's done wrong. It's, it's not that I'm angry, Nicholas Sandman. It's, it's that I'm disappointed. That was Savannah Guthrie's tone. Meanwhile, with Nathan Phillips, she's like, bro, my fellow liberal activist, my Native American brother who has suffered so much oppression because all Native Americans do, and I want the audience to know how much I care as a good lib who is in good standing with the Democratic Party. Uh, I, I want them to know how much I care about all of this. I want them to know that, you know, I'm on your side, even though I'm not going to say it openly and outright. Um, this guy is a problem. This guy is the one who led to kids getting threats. He chose to create a weird confrontation. He was banging a drum in someone's face, which is very aggressive. And she clearly thinks that he's a good guy. And Savannah Guthrie is a joke. She's a joke. I don't care. It's just true. I'm not trying to be mean. 
She is not a she is not a serious journalist in the sense that she has any ethics or integrity in how she approaches this. She's a partisan pretending to be a journalist, which is the worst kind. You you want you want some uh, examples of just what I'm talking about here? Play clip 18. These are all the times that Nathan Phillips attacked Nick Sandman in the interview. Uh, where there was no pushback at all from Savannah Guthrie. Play it. I was, I was upset. I was made to sit down and watch it. What was your reaction to it? Uh, coached and written up for him. Insincerity. Um, lack of responsibility. Well, if there's an apology, there'd be an apology for his own behavior because of the tomahawk chop and the mocking and in one of his statements he did say that he was the leader of that he got permission from his uh, school teacher so there's there's a lot of times he could have walked away you can hear him saying build that wall all that anger was directed at those four individuals the black israelites it was getting really explosive we were surrounded we couldn't go right we couldn't go left back oh i was blocked he has a PR firm, so those aren't even his words if he has a PR firm. Some sincerity, some um, some sense of uh, responsibility for his actions. Yeah, they were surrounded, just, just like Phillips was surrounded back in Nam, right? A country he never set foot in, but likes to refer to himself as a Vietnam Times veteran. I'll leave that to the vets in the audience, how, how much that annoys you, you know, how... how I, I know some vets who said they feel like that's just on the edge of, of stolen valor to say that you are a combat vet in a war zone when you never even were in the war zone. You are a refrigerator mechanic in the States that, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to the vets to to determine one way or the other. They, they can be the judges of that one. To me, it, it's it strikes me as problematic, uh, but I'm not a vet. So I'll, I'll pose that one to those who are. Um. Notice all the things he says here. I mean, he's trashing a 15-year-old kid. And, you know, this guy's a professional activist. All he does, this is all he wants. I mean, this is probably the best day of his life. Let's just also agree on that, right? He's not getting threats. His life hasn't been upended. You know, the media didn't didn't start trashing him. In fact, they they made it very clear they think he's some kind of hero. You know, he he's the good guy in this whole process. He's the one that everyone's supposed to say, oh, wow, look at... Look at the terrible MAGA hat wearing white kids that have surrounded him uh, to, to say that the kid should have apolo- apologized for what exactly? Sandman didn't do anything. Producer Mike is telling me this guy was also listed as AWOL three different times. You know, I mean, yeah, take that for what it's worth. Um, Sandman didn't do anything wrong. So I'm going to need someone to explain to me why should an individual apologize when that person did not, in fact, do anything wrong. You know, why should somebody be in a position to say to the whole world, the whole country, oh, I'm so sorry about that. I'll never let that happen again when they didn't do anything that should require an apology. You know, I I just have to say that uh, the, the media on this has somehow managed to be even worse you know, the BuzzFeed debacle, we all said to ourselves, those of us who are paying attention, wow, these guys are so anti-Trump that they can't, they just can't shoot straight. I mean, they they don't get it right. They flop on this one. You could tell the way the media was reporting on this. There was very, yeah, if true, but then there was very little skepticism of this. 
there was a, a feverish excitement around the possibility of finally getting Trump. And Joy Behar says, you know, this is what this is what this is all about. They want to get Trump. And anyone who's trying to stand in the way of them getting Trump is a problem. And and they want to take Trump down. And that's why they jump on these stories. Right? So we know all that. But then to to tell this false narrative about these 15 year old kids and to create a situation where the entirety of the media is then trying to scramble to find some justification, right, to find some justification for having reported on these kids this way. So that's when you get they they, I didn't even tell you about this. They uh, I think it was NBC News, no surprise, ran a story about how a kid who claimed he wasn't allowed to speak at his high school graduation because he was gay. I also read it was because he turned in his speech late and he missed the deadline. But anyway, says he was gay. They quoted him as saying, I'm not surprised about what happened at Covington. Like, and that became a news story. The kid doesn't even go to Covington. He doesn't know anything. He's just some kid from Kentucky who's gay and says that he wouldn't be able to speak because he's gay. And then he's picking on Covington. Was he some kind of Covington expert? This is crazy what's going on. But media is pathetic. Well, the big news is the U.S. is calling for a U.N. Security Council meeting tomorrow morning to talk about uh, the situation in Venezuela. It really seems to be reaching a crisis point between the two sides. You have basically two presidents in the country of Venezuela. One, Maduro, elected fraudulently, according to the U.S. He's telling U.S. diplomats to get out of the country within 72 hours. That would be by Saturday morning. On the other hand, you have the man who's declared himself president, Juan Guaido. He is saying the U.S. diplomats don't need to leave. And the U.S. is saying they're going to listen to Guaido. The diplomats will not leave. All right. The crisis in Venezuela has finally reached a tipping point. You heard there a little bit of the breakdown on Fox News. Here's what's going on. You have hundreds of thousands of people have flooded the streets in Caracas. You have a, a member of the parliament there who, under his constitutional authority, has claimed that there is a vacancy in the presidency, which he will temporarily fill until new elections can happen. His name is Juan Guaido, you just heard there. And he is saying that the other current president, although no longer accepted by the U.S. government as president, Nicolas Maduro, is illegitimate. This is, in effect the overthrow of the Maduro regime via constitutional and legislative means inside of Venezuela. Now, I think this could only be, unless we get incredibly unlucky, a good thing and a good sign. In in my opinion, there is very little that we can look to here uh, from the regime and, and think that it could get any worse. You know, when you start to break down just how horrific the economy is a million percent inflation folks that was which effectively means venezuelan currency has has no value bread lines toilet paper lines shortages of all kinds of foodstuffs products basic medicine very treatable diseases have been going untreated in venezuela people are losing weight not because they're trying to but because they have no choice they're losing weight in an unhealthy fashion They're losing weight in a quasi-starvation state because they can't get enough food. You have close to 20,000 murders a year in Venezuela. It's a country of only 30 million people. 
It's the size of California population-wise. Imagine if there were almost 20,000 murders in California alone. Some of the most senior government officials in the Maduro regime have been sanctioned as drug kingpins and according to the U.S. Treasury Department have been involved in using Venezuelan government resources and personnel to transship, upload, and offload massive quantities of cocaine. So this is effectively a narco state that we are talking about. It has the largest proven oil reserves in the world, larger than Saudi Arabia, as you know, uh, but it's incredibly poor because of the government mismanagement. Mismanagement is far too gentle a word. This is Marxism in action. This is socialism unveiled for the whole world to see. True socialism, where the government can seize the means of production and, and tries to operate the means of production, where the government can dictate anything it wants in the market, including the prices that otherwise private businesses can set for their products. Uh, this is what happens when you have a thugocracy that uses the wealth gap in a country and, yes, the envy and the political opportunities that that creates in order to exploit the frustrations of the people in a promised revolution of the people that turns into nothing more than what we always see with these kinds of pseudo-revolutionary movements where the fat cats in charge get fatter, the people have heavier chains and more prison time ahead of them because the state itself becomes a prison. This is what Venezuela has turned into in front of the whole world. And it's worth noting that liberals were cheering for this regime in the Chavez years and hopeful in the Maduro years, if not a little bit rooting for it too. That the libs back in 2011 and 2012 at the New York Times, the Washington Post and elsewhere were suggesting that the populist, yes, yeah, it's not a dirty word when they use it about a Marxist, the, the populist revolutionary Bolivarian impulses of first Chavez and then Maduro, maybe we're going to work out just fine. Maybe this would be a model for the rest of Latin America. This was delusional nonsense from the start. We all should have known. We should know that a country that has leaders that want to be friends with Cuba and Russia and Turkey and every bad actor, Iran, every bad actor in the world is, is a regime that tells you all you need to know about it. And when you look back in the earlier days of, of the Chavez regime, remember, Maduro was Chavez's stooge who took over for him. Chavez used to spend up to 40 hours a week. Yes, that's right. Four zero hours a week doing a television program where he would ramble on endlessly about whatever he felt like and would make policy declarations and decide that some businesses were going to get shut down or seized by the government during that live program. Chavez was a conspiracy theorist who did not believe in bin Laden, did not believe that uh, the Earth, I mean, rather that the uh, United States had landed on the moon, and at one point had the remains of Simon Bolivar interred from the grave they were held in in order to run some kind of a test to compare himself to the Bolivar. I mean, it's crazy. And this country has been destroyed. It has been destroyed. It has been taken down to the seventh circle of hell by people who complain about uh, Yankee imperialism, you know, American dominance in the Western Hemisphere, who say that capitalism is the exploitation of the weak by those who are already in power, who were able to convince a lot of people 
with a pretty you know, minimal level of education and resources that their lot was going to get better if they just turned over all the power that and then some that their government had to a bunch of thugs, a bunch of thugs. And it's a shame what's happened to Venezuela. But the U.S. now has backed this new uh, Guaido presidency. And we shall see. Raheem Kassam is going to join us in a minute here to talk more Venezuela. Stay with me. You're probably familiar with AARP. You or someone you know might already be a member. But did you know that the AARP is actually pretty left wing? They fought tooth and nail for a government-run health care system. And really, they don't support what you support. I recommend AMAC instead. Why AMAC? Well, AMAC actually wants border security. AMAC advocates for seniors, but also wants to fix Social Security, so it's there for seniors. And you get lots of great benefits from membership in AMAC, like discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, all kinds of stuff. So stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. Again, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better. Better for you. Better for America. But I will say this, and it's not for me to make announcements or even openly speculate. These are decisions made by the president. But if any harm should come to these diplomats from the United States, I want everybody to know that the consequences, I believe, from this administration that they'll impose will be swift and they'll be decisive. Um, I know this for certainty, and I think that message needs to be clear. Well, Marco Rubio saying if uh, the Maduro regime in what could be its last days, although who knows, uh, were to go after the U.S. embassy after giving a 72 hour, a 72 hour deadline for all of our diplomats to get out, that the consequences would be swift and severe. I don't really know specifically what he means. I think we're all assuming he means military intervention of some kind to protect our diplomats but let's get into this shall we uh we have our friend Raheem Kassam Raheem the dream he is on the phone with us right now he is of course the author of no go zones author former advisor to Nigel Farage and Claremont Institute fellow and general man about town Mr. Raheem good to have you back hey Buck how you doing I'm good, man. So what are your what do you think about what we've done or what Trump has done and the administration's done so far about this uh, this crisis in Venezuela of, you know, two presidents, only one presidency? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, just so people don't wonder why the heck I'm talking about Venezuela. Um, I've actually had a lot to do with Venezuela in the past uh, five or six years, working closely with people like Diego Aria and some other uh, uh, figures. Um, in the um, in the country, and it's and it's a very important country as far as the U.S. southern border is concerned. It's also a very important country as far as uh, the enemies of the West are concerned, i.e., Iran, uh, Russia, uh, and further afield too. Um, so, so those are the two ways and reasons uh, that I look at this. Um, let's take the southern border for uh, an example first. You know, we've seen hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans fleeing um, into Mexico and other surrounding um, Central and Latin American countries over the last uh, couple of years. And that is obviously naturally a case of, of the socialist policies and the tyrannical nature of the Bolivarian, Chavez and Maduro governments. 
um, respectively. Um, so you have a situation where Venezuela has put a, a, an amount of strain on Mexico, and in turn Mexico then dealing that strain in turn um, to its border with the United States. So for, from a starting point, I think this administration in the United States, the Trump administration, recognizes that in order to deal with um, a lot of the sort of refugee and asylum problems that are coming up through um, Southern America, um, you have to deal with what's going on in Venezuela. And so I think that is, is the national uh, security and national interest concern of the United States. Um, the second part of it is, as I say, the foreign policy element to it. Venezuela has, um, under Maduro and Chavez, stood with firmly um, Iran, uh, and the uh, the non-aligned uh, movement around the world, um, which has played both inside the United Nations and uh, as its own force uh, against the uh, played very firmly against the United States, against the United States allies um, such as the State of Israel and so on and so forth. And so, because I think one of this administration's major priorities is also to weaken the Iranian regime, um, helping to topple the current Venezuelan regime goes some way into doing that too. Um, they, we also have to consider that this administration, the Trump administration, has for a long time said, you know, you don't need boots on the ground. You don't need uh, uh, invasions um, to shape the world geopolitically and to address either strategic issues, national security issues, or indeed humanitarian crises. And once again, we're seeing the Trump administration, as, as people like you and I know, Buck, um, they're using other things in the arsenal um, to get good things done. Now, the neoconservatives and the political establishment on the Hill might be a little bit mortified by that because it sort of proves their entire raison d'etre incorrect. Um, but I think for, for the rest of the world, um, it's kind of a sigh of relief that, you know, we can both uh, eradicate and target um, iniquity in the world, but it doesn't necessarily require, you know, flags draped on coffins coming back um, or the expenditure of trillions of dollars. We're speaking to Raheem Kassam, author of No Go Zones. You all know him from also his uh, very excellent guest hosting here on the Buck Saxon Show. What do you think about what uh, what Trump has done so far? I, I was seeing, and and I, I always have to avoid words words like surprise and shock because it's not neither surprising nor shocking that there are some liberals who in their quest to just own Trump at, at every opportunity are saying that, uh, you know, it, it's a terrible idea that Trump is backing uh, Guido and and essentially, uh, you know, we're meddling. And this just you know, which to me, if there's ever a case for us, we're not intervening militarily, we're intervening diplomatically. I feel like to not intervene diplomatically at this point would be to make a choice in and of itself. Uh, but what do you think about the decision making that Trump has done so far? And do you have concerns that this is going to lead to some kind of U.S. mission creep in Venezuela? Because, I mean, I will say I don't want you know the 101st Airborne landing in Caracas. And I don't think anybody else does either. No, that's exactly right. Um, and, and, and nor do I. And I don't think America's allies would, would want to be part of anything like that either. I don't think that's in the, the nature of this administration. Um, look, it's, it's exactly what you said. You know, the last couple of administrations in the United States, the Obama administration uh, and the Bush administration, they took no action. And in taking no action, they, they make an active choice. They made an active choice that they were quite happy um, to let the, the Bolivarian Republic um, under Chavez and under Maduro um, not just stand, but, but, but flourish in the sense of its, its, its pincer movement of power over the Venezuelan people. 
U.S. foreign policy, as, as well as the foreign policy, by the way, and this is because this is not just a U.S. problem. It's not a U.S. problem per se at all. Um, but the foreign policy of the rest of the world, um, including the European Union, the United Kingdom, etc., etc., stood by and watched these guys as they as they rate their country of wealth. You know, I think I think the Chavez family has something like forty billion dollars uh, um, in their bank accounts at the moment, um, and and while the people there were forced to do god awful things for basic amenities such as food, water, toilet paper, and so forth. Now, again, how does that relate to the United States and why is that uh, an American problem? Strictly speaking, it isn't. Uh, but it is a problem once the, the, the migrant crisis that is that has gripped um, Latin America and through Central America up into Mexico and then onto the U.S. border um, becomes a harsh reality. And it has become a harsh reality. But, you know, you were there um, last week. I'm not saying that it's you know, 400,000 Venezuelans at the, at the U.S. southern border. But it is a constituent part of that problem and it is a constituent part of how the Mexicans are dealing with their own immigration problems at the moment, trying to shift a lot of the blame and the burden away up to the U.S. southern border. Um, so I think this administration has taken into account a vast array of things. I don't think it's going to have any uh, military intervention uh, uh, in mind here, uh, apart from perhaps having to evacuate diplomats if the situation worsens. But that's not an active, that's more of a passive um, thing to do and, and one which you would expect. Um, there will How much... Can I, can I, I want to ask you a question, Raheem, about just... I think they can avoid it. Uh, I want to ask you a question about sort of broader Latin American political instability and troubles here. How much of, of the, the political dysfunction, this kind of... Um, a kind of, of Marxist cycle that keeps cropping up in, in Latin America, uh, do you think is is really just a result of continued, and in part because the some of the political class in these different countries will, will use this, they'll fan this, but the continued resentment about North American history in the region and North what they view as a kind of Yankee imperialism. Uh, because, you know, these are countries... Venezuela, Mexico, Cuba, Nicaragua, that should not have, by all accounts, all the problems they do. You know, they should be a little bit more like Canada, but yet they are not. What do you th what do you think is going on with that? You know, I can't speak to the mentality um, of, of, of Latin America, but, but what I will say is this. Uh, there is a there is a distinction, uh, um, you know, some uh, hemispherically um, between the United States and Canada and and let's take the United Kingdom. If you were able to sort of draw a line across the Atlantic um, and then you go south of that line. And of course, you've got South America and you've got Europe um, and you've got Europe's uh, um, former colonies in Africa as well. And, and the southern part of that line is is socialistic, welfareistic. Um, defers to the state, um, doesn't have much concern for either the individual um, or the concept of, 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 of human dignity and sovereignty as, as pertains their, their government and their constitutions. Um, and so I think, it's a, I think it's more of a malign influence of, of, of European welfareism that still plagues um, South America than anything else. And, and the, you know, what, what you might refer to, well, not what you might refer to, but what the left might refer to as you know, Yankee imperialism or, or so on and so forth is just what, what we know as 
the historic and repeated continuation of uh, British liberties, common law, um, and 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 you know human dignity and sovereignty over over oneself and one's responsibilities. And so philosophically, it's a very interesting delineation that you can draw, literally physically on a map. Um, but besides that, I'm not sure why they haven't snapped out of it. To be fair. I'm not sure why either, but uh, Venezuela is going to get, uh, I think it's going to get a lot dodgier before it gets any better. Uh, our man Raheem Kassam, though, follow him on Twitter at Raheem Kassam. Also, RaheemKassam.com is his site, and uh, we'll have more of his projects for you to talk about in the new year or as the new year keeps going. Raheem, thanks so much for making the time, my friend. Thanks, man. Cheers. Team, hitting a quick break. We'll be right back. It's alive. I've never seen the original Frankenstein movie. I just realized this as we play that little clip for you there. Um, but that, that's a little special intro now. Whenever we talk about libs and science, it's alive because they're all freaked out about it. And, uh, and climate change is the lib science topic of today because it really has very little to do with science. This is uh, virtue signaling through the prism of perceived scientific consensus. But that's one, not, not a thing when it comes to climate change other than to say that climate change exists but well, well of course climate change exists right we, we, we can start to reduce this down and yes the climate is changing the climate is always changing what would be bizarre is if the climate given all the factors involved stayed at exactly the same temperature globally year in and year out and for all of eternity that that would seem rather strange wouldn't it there are fluctuations in climate every day so shouldn't there be fluctuations in the average climate every year? Uh, but nonetheless, this is obviously where they say that, oh, it's about human uh, human involvement, human-caused climate change, all this stuff. Humans are the, are the primary. They use a lot of these kind of very non-scientific words. You'll notice that. You know, humans are a primary uh, cause of climate change. Well, what percentage? Five? Fifty? Ninety? Point zero zero five? Yeah, do I think that human beings are probably 0.005% of climate change? That sounds about right. Am I going to leave it at, lose any sleep over that? No, but you know what's funny? Neither or really anybody else. NBC News, which has covered itself in uh, ignominious stank for the last few days, the way it's been covering the uh, Covington kids situation. And NBC News has uh, come out with, well, they're just popularizing or, or publicizing this survey that was done by, eh, who cares? I don't know, some place that does big surveys of climate change. And according to the latest poll data, 7 in 10 Americans, or, or 69%, say that they are somewhat worried about global warming. 29% say they are very worried. And who wants to bet that those are all super libs who think that Nancy Pelosi is just, like, so smart. And, like, she just totally cares about poor people and the climate. And, like, she really wants to make everything better. Um, yeah, all that stuff. But what's really funny is that the, uh, the, the upside of this uh, for all the rest of us is that guess what? Americans, despite the knowledge of climate change, despite the numbers that say that some people, a pretty healthy portion of the population has either some or a lot of concern about it, do not want to have to do anything in terms of paying more money to deal with it. Oh, what a shock. Uh, 
Um, they don't want to, you know, you have here, the survey showed conditional support for tax and carbon emissions. It found support grew if the taxes went to preferred uses, with 67% saying they would approve of the changes or charges if the money went to restore forests, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the AP survey showed that Americans don't want to pay very much to fight climate change. A $1 a month fee was favored by 57% of those surveyed. However, if the monthly charge increased to $10 a month, just 28% would be supportive, while 68% would be opposed. Oh, that's right. People are really worried about climate change ending the world because they think that the science says that, right? Except for the fact that they're not so worried. They do not care enough that they're willing to pay even $10 a month. That's right, $10 a month to deal with the problem. So this is why I, I cannot take this seriously the way that libs want me to. And I know that some of them, including lib friends of mine, think that I'm just, they think I'm nuts on climate change. And I just say, what do you not get? They're wrong on this over and over again. I'm going to be right. Ocasio-Cortez and her ilk are going to be wrong. The world's not going to end in 12 years. New York and Florida and California are not going to be underwater in 20. I guarantee it. I mean, I always tell you I can't predict the future, but there are some things I can predict. You know, maybe not with 100% certainty, but 99.99999. And the world is not going to end because of climate change in 10 years or in 100 years or in 1,000 years. I promise you it's not going to happen. These people are just self-indulgent, virtue-signaling wackos. There, I said it. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Oh, man, a uh, wet and rainy day here in D.C. Hopefully, wherever you are across the country, it's uh, quite a bit nicer. I did get to interview a congressman from San Diego right before he said, well, it's only about 75 degrees here, and he was a Democrat. So I had to ask him a question that he didn't know the answer to. That was fun during the uh, interview. Why, why do Honduran migrants who just want to flee oppression and violence uh, stop in Mexico and then refuse to accept asylum and stay in Mexico. Didn't have didn't have an answer for that one. I thought that was interesting, which if I were a congressman from a border state, I'd probably be ready for that one. But it's what he got for flaunting his good weather at us. I was just talking to an old radio friend and advisor last night on the phone and I said, "You know, man, you got to I got to get out to LA for some I want to do some I want to do some team buck meetups across the country and especially in warm places." Let's uh, let's get to it, you know, and he said, maybe we can make it happen in Los Angeles. So I'm I'm hoping to get out to L.A. soon, certainly in March, if not February. Uh, and I'm maybe I'll even stay out there for quite a ways if I can. All right. Roll call time. Not just Buck babbling on about nonsense, but Team Buck L.A. Get ready for it. The Buck NATO is coming for you. Kurt, first up, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you want to get in on the action. I watched your interview with Charlie Sykes on Rising. I'm sure there must be tens of readers who enjoy the bulwark. But what I wanted to respond to was Jamal's claim that most illegal immigrants are visa overstays. 
In fact, there are three illegal visa entries for every two overstays. That isn't most in my book, Shields High. Kurt, you know, I actually don't know those numbers offhand. I think you are correct, but I would have to look into what the specifics are about uh, how many there are. I mean, yeah, there's a half million visa overstays. I mean, I can tell you that there were 100,000 family units that showed up at the border requesting asylum last year. And those family units are at least two people, in some cases, three or four. So that's not any, quote, illegal crossings, because when they come into the country, they are, in fact, uh, entering into a legal process by claiming asylum. And then 80% of them do not show up for their hearings. Andrew writes... Got to call you out on something. The etymology of solipsism derived from the Latin sol equals son. My dictionary gives etymology as derived from solus, meaning alone. I've always thought of solipsism as the belief that all external stimuli are nothing more than a dream. Definitely not that someone is the center of the universe like the sun. Uh, You are correct, Andrew, and I want to blame whoever told me the wrong thing here about solipsism. In terms of etymology, from a definitional perspective, uh, I am, I am not, uh, the, the way I explain the definition is, is a way that people will, meaning that, you know, you think you're the center of the universe. Technically solipsism as a, as a philosophy is the ideology that only you, or the philosophy, I should say that only you, your own brain, your own thoughts can exist and you can know nothing else beyond it. But if people refer to somebody as being solipsistic, it's, it means that, uh, they're not thinking about anybody else. Uh, and and are essentially it's a way of a fancy way of saying selfishness right so there you have it here uh characterized by solipsism this is from uh dictionary.com the theory that only the self exists uh her treatment of of uh, philosophy dealt with madness as a complete self-contained solipsistic world so it's totally self-contained it's all about you it's also a, an expansion of what's called the egocentric problem and the inability to view reality outside your own perceptions. But yes, you're right. Solus, not from Sol the Sun. It's from Solus alone. I despise being wrong. I won't say who told me this because I told this a long time ago. Um, but I was told the wrong thing. Nonetheless, the word is correct. The etymology needed to be uh, corrected. So thank you for that. Even though now I'm going to go scream into a pillar because I'm mad. Uh, Max writes, Hey there, Buck. Negotiations over the wall and shutdown don't seem to be moving along very quickly. What do you think of the idea Trump saying that his compromise offer has an expiration date, say two weeks or so? After that, he'd revise his terms to be less favorable to Democrats, for example, more wall funding from and or shorter protection for DACA, enjoying the show. Well, Max, you know, he's trying to negotiate. He's trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do. And, you know, that involves trying to sometimes position yourself so that you have leverage over the other side. I think that the Democrats, unfortunately, are better at playing the zero-sum, all-or-nothing political game than Republicans are, and may- maybe even than Trump is. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I will say that... Uh, Ann Coulter wrote an op-ed, I think it was just published yesterday, where she says that what should really happen is Trump should just build the wall. Just build the wall. Just just tell 
the National Guard, tell the Army Corps of Engineers, whoever the specific, uh, the, the specific body may be, tell them to build the wall and make the court stop you and then win in court in time to be reelected president. Uh, that's what that's what I think is increasingly likely here. And I, I think that the other option would be for the president to start the government up again. Remember, he could start the government up and then say, OK, I funded the government. And remember, we keep saying this. I hate the way we're forced to talk about this. Eighty five percent of the government is funded. We are talking about 15 percent of the federal government. And people refer to this like it's a catastrophe. Uh, so I, I think that there's a real possibility that maybe the government does get funded. And then Trump says, OK, we funded the government. We've had this discussion. This is nonsense. Democrats are crazy. I'm just going to declare a national emergency and fund the, and, and not forget fund the wall, just build the wall. He's just going to do it. Uh, I think that's very possible. So that's how I see this going on. Stanton, excellent vid of you taking that rhino Charlie Sykes to town on border security. I'm so sick of hearing that it's just a straw man argument to say the left isn't for securing our southern border. At some point, Dems will need to provide actual proof that they support curbing illegal immigration in any way, or they could just publicly acknowledge and embrace their open border agenda and save us all a lot of time and energy. But whatever. Keep up the good fight. Buck. Uh, well, Buck, I'm Buck and you're Stanton. Thank you, Stanton. And uh, yes, you know, I, I Charlie's he's uh, I don't mind his. You know, I'm happy to talk to people about ideas. He's just kind of smug and and undeserving of his degree of smugness. You know, he's a guy who, OK, I mean, he was hosting a radio show before he was now the editor of The Bulwark. And now he's sitting down talking to me. I mean, a lot more people listen to this radio show than listen to his radio show. I can tell you that. So you know, why why the condescension? Like, What's what's his it, based on what exactly? Um, I, I And also, I mean, you can see his argument. He contradicts himself he's self-refuting but he likes to pepper in a lot of and you see this among the never trumpers the max boots the the uh, bill crystal the you know name a, ne- a never trumper there's always this oh you know uh, let, let's turn to the facts or i'm sorry if i have to use some big words here i'm like buddy i i'll i don't know what to tell you but no one is impressed and, and you're not speaking above anyone you're actually speaking below them because you don't know what the hell you are talking about so if you haven't seen that video, I think I put it up on Facebook before. You can check it out there. But we do get into the the back and forth over this. My colleague Jamal, who's a Democrat, let me do most of the interview, fortunately, because that was the most interesting thing that could have happened. Although having somebody else there, I had to defer my time to him a little bit. And I wish it, would, it had just been Charlie Sykes and me. This is one of the problems with a left-right style show is sometimes the left or the right person is pretty superfluous in the conversation. Um, just because, you know, there are times when Krista really wants to fight with Candace Owens and I'm just going to sit there and there's nothing for me to do. I mean, I tried to cut it a couple of times, but I couldn't. Uh, but with Jamal, I thought was so interesting was that Charlie Sykes entirely agrees with everything Jamal says about immigration. Jamal's a Democrat, so that that's fine. But Charlie Sykes says he's a conservative. So why is it that the conservative agrees with the Democrat on basically everything? And then when I pointed that out, he got very hissy about it. But I'm just stating the obvious. You know, he might as well be Nancy Pelosi's communications director. I mean, I think Charlie Sykes should apply for that job. I think he'd do a good job as a spokesperson for a Democrat. And I have a feeling that a lot of people that write for him at the website that we don't have to give another plug to 
are also in that in that capacity. So I'm fine with people exchanging uh, ideas with me all the time. I just there's no need for I'm always polite to people until otherwise. The guy doesn't need to be a condescending jerk because uh, he's in no position to condescend. That's what that's what I think he doesn't understand. And it's the same with Max Boot. Same with these people who are making just jackasses of themselves and are not nearly as clever or knowledgeable as they think they are. And they're really doing a lot of, of work for Trump by acting in this way, by being so self-indulgent and childish. Uh, here we go. Keith. He writes, Shields high, bro. And he sent me Nancy Pelosi photoshopped with a dunce hat on. All right, man. Thank you. I uh, appreciate you sending that along. Buck, this is Ryan. I think you know banning DDT did more harm than good, perhaps. Dad disagrees. He thinks DDT was used excessively and persists in the biosphere. Short-term benefits, long-term costs. There's a lesson here, though. The correct move would have been to improve pesticides and regulate DDT's use. But, of course, the, the greenies dropped the ban uh, hammer and poof, malaria. Ryan, I, I did talk about DDD on the show a long time ago, so I don't know if you're maybe a couple of years behind on the podcast or if maybe six months behind, but it is an interesting topic, so thank you for bringing it up. And yeah, the, the downside of DDT was greatly exaggerated by the environmentalists, and a lot of people died from malaria because of it. So there's that. Yeah, these, these decisions they make, these bad decisions that the lefty environmental types make are not without consequence for the rest of us worth keeping in mind tomorrow we got friday coming up so uh, maybe we'll be able to do a little bit of phone action for those of you who want to call in i think that's always fun when we can do it when we can get to it until then i've got to go uh drink some hot tea because i am sick once again although hopefully not that sick uh and i will rally for tomorrow's show so until next time team shields high